Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The sexually liberated woman gets her orgasms from Shock Rubs, the original crystal sex toy company that makes beautiful handcrafted pleasure tools from pure crystal. Crystals are a natural earth-made material that awaken higher levels of consciousness, help you work through emotional imbalances, and heal deep core wounding. Take all of that, put it in a sex toy, and you've got yourself a mighty orgasmic tool. I recently got an amethyst shock rub as a gift, and I've been loving playing with the intense and incredibly healing vibes that this crystal gives me. Shock rubs not only gets me off, but helps me create an intentional self-pleasure practice that urges me to feel deeply and reconnects me to my inner wisdom. And my orgasms are incredible. So if you want to bring sacredness and new levels of sensuality to your erotic life, head to shockrubs.com and use my code LIBERATION to get 10% off your purchase. That's C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S promo code LIBERATION for 10% off your next purchase. Tell them Evian sent you and may your orgasms be plentiful. Hey everyone, welcome to The Sexually Liberated Woman. I'm Evian Whitney, and before I go any further, I just want to say thank you to everyone who gave their love and support after the last episode came out. So many of you wrote in with such excitement about me coming back from my hiatus, and also with a lot of gratitude. The conversation I had with Tasha last time resonated with you so much, and I heard from a lot of you that her story and vulnerability helped heal parts of you, which both me and Tasha are really, really touched by. 
If you haven't listened to Tasha's story yet, definitely check it out. And thanks so much again for your kind words and support. It means so much, like way more than I could ever adequately express. Okay, so it's Pride Month. And as such, I've been thinking a lot about my own queer identity and the ways I honor that in my current relationship, and then reminiscing about the rocky and enlightening road that led me to IDing myself in this way. Even though I've written a few essays about my queer identity, which I will link to in the show notes, I've never really gone into detail about my coming out experience and about what being queer looks like and means to me these days, especially with me being in a hetero relationship. A lot of you are especially curious about that last bit, and I've gotten dozens and dozens of questions over the last couple years about what it's been like for me to be queer while also being in a long-term relationship with a cis dude. And while sometimes that question is asked to be nosy, (laughs) much of the time I get that question from people who have recently or are just now giving themselves permission to question and claim their not straight sexuality. And they want to know from me how it is we manage, for lack of a better term, my queer identity in our relationship, in our marriage. I've also been asked a lot to do an official queer identity episode on this podcast, which this is definitely not it, (laughs) but we can just say that this is a precursor to a larger conversation that I'm having and will continue to have about being a queer femme, both with myself and with you. So in honor of pride... And in celebration of my own not-straightness, here's me officially coming out again. Because as a femme-presenting, straight-passing woman in a long-term, monogamous-passing marriage with a guy, I often feel like I have to come out again and again, which I'll definitely get more into in this episode. But for now, sit back, relax, Maybe make yourself a beverage to sip on and come along with me as I share my messy, confusing, silly, queer identity origin story. When I think back to when I realized that I wasn't straight, I honestly feel a little shame come up because my realization didn't look like what we're told the usual gay realization looks like. The, I always knew I was gay from the time I was born kind of stories, or the, I knew I wasn't straight because of the crush I had on my teacher in kindergarten kind of thing. And I think that's one of the major things that kept me from being curious about my maybe not straight sexuality. I thought you had to know from day one that every single crush you had from the time you knew crushes existed would be same sex crushes. 
And so in a lot of ways, I ignored and invalidated my own sexual identity because I didn't come to know that part of myself in the conventional ways I was so used to hearing about. So I actually had my first real girl crush at around 20, maybe I was 21, though I would not have considered it a girl crush at the time. It was this woman who used to come in to get her hair shampooed at the salon I was working at at the time. I was working as a receptionist. And the first time she walked in, I remember feeling a strange, familiar pull in my body that made me go, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) I have vivid memories of daydreaming about her behind the desk as she sat in front of me unknowingly in the waiting area, waiting to get her hair done. I would daydream about what it would be like to make her dinner and what it would be like to caress my legs against hers as we cuddled on the couch. I imagined how it might feel to hold her hand in public and to take baths with her. Once, I even got up the courage to speak to her beyond what I was doing as part of my job, the typical, hi, welcome to our salon, how can I help you? Um, I don't even really remember what we talked about, but It was a huge moment for me, like me making a point to actually try to know her and to also make my own presence and interests known to her. And it's funny, when I think back, even while I was daydreaming about having a full-on relationship with this woman, I still thought I was straight. I thought that those were just normal sexual fantasies that some women have, kind of how lots of straight women tend to watch lesbian porn despite them not being gay. And because I was in a relationship with this guy and we were like months away from being engaged, it didn't seem accurate to call what I was feeling and thinking about anything other than whimsical fantasies. In my mind, I thought who you were with was what your sexual orientation was. I honestly didn't think being anything other than straight was an option for me, not just because of the relationship I was in at the time, but because of the way I had lived my life up until that point. I always had crushes on and dated guys. Even in high school, when I witnessed my friends experimenting with their sexuality, sometimes with each other, no light bulbs ever went off in my head, no impulses to explore or be curious about my own self and my own sexuality. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time thinking about why this was, wondering how and This is maybe going to sound inappropriate, but it's my truth. Uh, How I could have numerous sleepovers with my girlfriends as a teen where I'd be in intimate situations with them, sleeping in the same bed, seeing them naked. During times when we were all sexually active and never once did my mind venture into a direction of attraction towards them or sexual curiosity. It drives me crazy that I don't have an easy answer to that to this day. 
But the one thing I keep coming back to is how it was so drilled into me by my church, by my parents, by my family members that being gay was not only a sin, like it wasn't just a sin, but an abomination. So I think that being so heavily discouraged against same-sex love and sexuality and even hearing my own father say homophobic things as I was growing up, it made me feel in a very visceral way that that wasn't an option for me. Like it didn't even occur to me to wonder about my sexuality because anything other than being straight was so off limits. So maybe the reason it took me so long to realize and claim myself as queer had something to do with that. Like I literally had to dismantle those barriers that kept me from being curious in order to finally allow myself to be my own person and to find my own truth. And it's interesting because right around the time I had that first girl crush was when I moved out and away from my parents' influence. I think I had to literally and physically emancipate myself from their religion, from their rules, their superstitions and phobias to be able to think for myself and become my own sexual woman. I think my queer identity started to really come to form as more than just a fantasy when after I left my salon job and thus my girl crush, uh, I was still having feelings and curiosities for and about women. And while I wasn't in a place still to put an official label on it, I knew that I was discovering something very important about myself that was still being revealed to me. What's so funny to me about that time in my early 20s was that even though I was in denial about my sexuality, the kind of media I was consuming at that time was telling a totally different story. <laughs> I was watching a lot of artsy and super gay films back then with storylines that mimicked my own struggles and confusion with my sexuality. I was also heavily reading Anais Nin's diaries, particularly the ones where she was coming into her own sexual awakening and realizing her deep affection and sexual desire for both Henry and June Miller. While her story wasn't totally similar to mine, I saw myself so much in Anais Nin, not just in her sexuality, but in her sexual awakening process as a whole. To read and basically witness her giving herself permission to satiate her sexual desires for June, for Henry, for herself even, it was more than inspiring. It was medicinal. And it was through her honest and raw self-discovery that I began to really open myself to the wide and complex spectrum of my own sexuality and how it needed to be healed and liberated. And then, when I was 23, I came down with yet another girl crush, one where neither of us were actively searching for attraction, but somehow found ourselves into each other, and then later conspiring having a real relationship with each other. And that's when I finally started to realize that not only was I definitely not straight, 
but that I was probably not monogamous as well. The relationship, and I'm saying that in air quotes that you can't see, uh, I mentioned earlier with my girl crush didn't end up working out for reasons I won't go into here. And even though nothing physical happened between us and our relationship was more of an emotional, short-lived flirtationship, I grieved our breakup hard, like way harder than I probably should have and way harder than I expected myself to. Probably because my moon is in cancer, (laughs) but likely because I was grieving, like really, really grieving. I wasn't just grieving the idea of what our relationship could have been. I was grieving the loss of this opportunity to finally explore my sexuality with a woman because this flirtationship came out of nowhere and it seemed like I was finally being given a permission slip from the universe to satiate my desires. So when our relationship ended, and this is going to sound completely dramatic, Um, I seriously felt like that was my one and only chance to live out a part of me that had been kept unacknowledged for so long. So I took all of that heartbreak, all of that confusion, and put it into a really melodramatic and messy post on my blog, Sex Love Liberation, which is really embarrassing for me to revisit the post that I'm talking about, but I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you would like to read it. As I was writing this post, it wasn't my intention to come out I was just looking for a place to process my sadness and the frustration I was feeling with my sexuality. And sex love liberation was that space for me. It wasn't until I was finished writing it that I realized the implications of the post. That in starting the post out with, I had a crush on a girl once, I was coming out even if I still didn't want to use the designated language for who I was. Which, by the way, I should just mention that the reason I was so against calling what I was what it was, which was some form of bisexual at the time, was because I absolutely abhorred the word. I didn't like bisexual, and I could not call myself bisexual. Bisexual felt flippant and trivial and surface level to me, and it was a word that I knew people used as a slight, as though bisexual people just couldn't make up their minds. I didn't want to be perceived as I was just going through some phase, and I felt really hyper aware that I would be categorized as that even more so because of being married to a guy. But even though I hated it, Bisexual was the only word that really resonated with me, so I began using it even though it made me feel tense and a bit anxious. So with the post about me questioning my sexual orientation out, I guess that's a good place to talk about how my family received all of this. Obviously, Jonathan knew about how I questioned my sexuality before all of this because of conversations I had had with him about my crushes and my daydreams. And to be honest, 
I don't even remember what that initial confession and conversation looked like, probably because it was uneventful. I mean, he was definitely supportive and gave me space and time to figure out what that meant for me, but there wasn't this long, drawn-out discussion about it that I was expecting, which I'm really grateful for in retrospect. I also told my sister shortly before the post came out, which again, I can't really remember how that conversation went, but I do remember that I told her over lunch one afternoon, and I was pleasantly surprised by how open and accepting she was, how she was just like, cool, so tell me about your crush. It was incredibly reassuring and helped me feel seen and normal. I'll never forget that. As for my parents, I honestly didn't plan on telling them until I knew exactly what all of this meant for me. Because if bisexual is what I was going to start calling myself, I needed to understand what this information was going to change in my life, if at all. There's a lot I didn't know at the time. Like, I wasn't even sure what it meant to be a bisexual woman married to a man, if that meant I was going to start actively dating women, or if this was just a part of me that I was going to let lie dormant for this particular lifetime. So my plan was to tell my parents if and when I knew it should be their business. Uh, but of course, they had other plans. Despite them telling me, over and over that they would never, ever read my sexuality blog because it weirded them out too much. They both somehow ended up reading the post I wrote about my sexual orientation, and their responses ranged between disappointment and deep concern. Actually, both of them said, in their own ways, how sad they were that I wasn't going to be with them in heaven when I die because of my sins. And not just the sin of me being bisexual, but the sin of the openly sexual way I was living my life. And to this day, my sexual identity and even the work that I do is on a don't ask, don't tell basis with my mom. She doesn't ask and I don't tell. I'm not going to lie to you and say that their responses didn't hurt me but I didn't internalize them all that much, or at least I tried not to internalize them. I mean, I kind of figured that that was how they were going to respond anyway. They were both still pretty religious, so I expected that they would be put off by this realization. But I didn't want to dwell on my parents' or other family members' opinions of me, I wanted to focus my energy on the support and encouragement that I was getting from other people, from Jonathan, from my friends, and from the few people reading my blog. I also wanted to focus on ways that I could explore and validate my sexuality on my own terms, because I didn't want my curiosities to lie dormant. I wanted them to be realized. I wanted them to be celebrated. I wanted to express the full spectrum of my sexuality without it taking away from the partnership I created with Jonathan. And I explored and validated my sexuality in many ways uh, by going to queer events in my city, by getting clued into gay pop culture classics that I totally missed out on because I came out so late. 
by going to lesbian summer camp, which is also something I wrote about, um, but especially by making queer community and, of course, by opening my relationship. I've talked a lot already about what the process of opening and closing and then opening my relationship again looked like for me, both on my blog and on this podcast. And I will leave links in the show notes if you'd like to revisit that whole wild story. So I guess all of that brings me to where I'm at today, Um, thriving and a lot more confident in who I am than I was but also still discovering myself as a queer woman. I mean, while it's true I've been on this earth for 30 years, historically, I've only been living fully in my queer identity for like seven years. So there's a lot I'm still figuring out and a lot I still struggle with. I mean, I guess I'll be really vulnerable in saying that one of those struggles that I still deal with is whether I'm allowed to claim myself as queer, mostly because of what I talked about already, having come out so late in life, not currently being in a queer relationship, and that weighs on me a lot. Like, there's still this part of me that is critical about my process and doubts who I am. And that gets compounded by the other thing I struggle with, which is that I am often made to feel invisible and questioned about my identity by other people in the queer community. There was this one time, and I'll never forget it, I went to a lesbian dance party with some queer friends of mine, my first ever gay bar experience. And I was already feeling so nervous and shy because I was dealing with a lot of inner judgment about how I didn't look queer enough. Um, And I was having a hard time convincing myself that I even belonged there in that space. But I was trying to keep it cool and exude a confidence that was definitely not there. And so I'm walking into the bar and my friend is ahead of me saying hello to friends And one of her friends, who I had just met with Jonathan a few nights ago, looks at me, and then she looks at my friend and goes, what's she doing here? And I'll never forget that moment of realizing that the reason she was asking that question was because she saw me with Jonathan and assumed that I was straight. So when things like that happen, and they've happened a lot, as people always assume I'm straight, both because of who I'm with and because I don't have that, quote, queer look, it's really difficult for me to silence the voices of doubt that I tell my own self. I mean, I'm continuously working on validating and celebrating my sexuality on my own terms and outside of other people's opinions or prejudices, And I'm constantly reminding myself that I am queer because I say I am queer, full stop, period. But yeah, it's it's hard. As for how I identify in terms of language, I've since made peace with the word bisexual, but predominantly use the word queer when describing my sexual orientation. I like queer because it doesn't just speak to the kind of people I am sexually attracted to and have relationships with, but it speaks also to the way I live my life sexually, which is open, proud, unconventional, maybe a little blasphemous. (laughs) 
Although I've been having some serious feels lately about how calling myself queer rather than bi or bisexual is another form of bi erasure. And even though my attraction for folks is not within the male-female binary, there's something that feels really political and radical about calling myself bisexual. Maybe because in doing so, it feels like I'm finally reclaiming the word after so many years of being repelled by it. I don't know. It's something I'm still working out, but in the meantime, I prefer to call myself queer because it encapsulates how I love and fuck in a really easy and concise way. As for who I am as a bi-queer person, <laughs> um, I am tender and soft. There's that cancer moon. <laughs> the way to my pussy uh, is through my heart, which is another way of saying that I also identify as demisexual, someone who needs to have an emotional connection and emotional intimacy with someone before the act of sex can take place, which would honestly make for a great episode sometime. I'm making a mental note of that right now. Uh, as a queer person, I am a little awkward. And I have a hard time having my interest in others be read as sexual or romantic because I don't really know how to flirt, <laughs> which is also something I'm working on. I am non-monogamous and prefer that term to polyamorous because non-monogamy better reflects the kind of relationships I tend to be in. I'm prone to having many crushes at a time, and I'm not shy to be direct and express when I like like someone, which there goes my Sagittarius rising. <laughs> I'm pretty vanilla with bratty bottom tendencies, depending on who you ask and who I'm getting freaky with. And oh my God, this is starting to sound like a dating profile. Okay, <laughs> one last thing. I am a tomboyish femme who uses she, her pronouns. My queer identity is a choice. That is, I actively choose each day to honor and actualize this part of me when I don't necessarily have to. And I guess what I mean by that is like, I'm in a long-term committed relationship with a man who's amazing. We've been together for more than a decade. It would be really, really easy for me to settle for my life as a straight person. And I almost did. Uh, but I chose not to because this part of me was more important than my fears and anxieties, more important than any should or right way to do it. My queerness is an inherent part of me. No matter who I'm sharing my bed with or how long ago I was on a date with someone. And I am so happy to finally be home to myself as a queer woman. Okay, before I close this lengthy confessional, I just want to give some shout outs to some people who were a huge part of my queer origin story. These people took me under their gay wings and helped me come into my sexual identity with love, support, and mentorship. 
And I want to take a moment to acknowledge their place in my coming out and coming home to my queer self story. Okay, shout out to Emily, who was one of my only queer friends at the time I figured out I wasn't straight and who helped me find my way. She also introduced me to some gay pop culture classics like the film But I'm a Cheerleader and my super problematic fave, The L Word. I want to thank you as well, Emily, for taking me to my very first queer-centered event here in Portland, where I was able to see and feel the community around me in a physical, loving way. You always affirmed me even when I was so ungraceful and unsure, and I'm so grateful. Thank you. Shout out to Akiti who gave me my first lesbian bar experience, which is also where I had the pleasure of having my first biphobic experience that I mentioned previously, which is totally not your fault, and I don't blame you at all. Despite that rude experience, I had so much fun and look back on that night with so much fondness. Shout out to everyone in my cabin at A Camp 2015, uh, beehive, what's up? <laughs> but seriously, the conversations and experiences I had with each of you have such a special place in my heart. You will always be my queer family, even when we don't see each other all that much. And I am so grateful that you were part of my journey. All right. Shout out to S. Uh, the first person I ever asked to go out on a date with me and who treated me a baby queer so tenderly and patiently as I fumbled my way through our first and second date. Shout out to Jay, my first queer kiss and the first woman I ever held hands with in a public space. And also shout out to A, who was my first queer sexual experience, which I was so nervous about and had waited for so, so long to have this moment. And when it was finally happening, I was literally saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, in my head until we fell asleep. (laughs) So yeah, thank you for that experience. Shout out to Jonathan for not only being my main squeeze, but also for being the best wingman a girl could want and ask for. You definitely helped me up my flirtation game, and I'm so appreciative of your swagger because I I don't have any. (laughs) And shout out to every person I've ever dated who broke it off with me. You missed out. (laughs) No, but seriously, thank you. Um, Thank you for your service. (laughs) That's not shade. I swear it's not shade. And if there's anyone listening to this and they want to go on a date with me sometime, slide up in those DMs and hit your girl up. No, I'm kidding. I'm so kidding. I'm not going to use my podcast as a place to get dates. That is completely inappropriate. But seriously, though, hit me up. Let's go out dancing. Okay. Thank you for witnessing me. For witnessing this mess and happy pride.
The Sexually Liberated Woman is produced, edited, and designed by me, Evian Whitney. If you love this podcast, I'd love it if you left me a review on Apple Podcasts. Reviews helps others find the podcast and also helps others find sexual liberation, which I think is a win-win. And if you'd like to support this podcast, I have amazing news. The Sexually Liberated Woman finally has a Patreon. This podcast is more than a labor of love. It's a safe space to explore and heal femme sexuality. And real talk, it requires a lot of work and energy to create. So I'm asking for your help to keep it going strong. With just $5 a month, you can help the sexually liberated woman thrive and continue instigating sexual empowerment. Just go to patreon.com slash SLW podcast to donate and become a patron. I literally couldn't do this without you. As for me, Evian, you can find me on my blog, sexloveliberation.com and on Instagram at evian.whitney. Thank you so much for being here and I'll see you in the next episode. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.